thought this was a better movie than the last few I've watched, we could probably discuss it a little more like abstractly kind of out of order and whatnot. Since I was like, Oh, this was a movie. <laughs> yeah. This like is an, actual an actual movie. movie. This is not yes. uh, a death toilet or evil bong or whatever the fuck. Fuck those movies. Those movies can fuck right off. <laughs> <laughs> latest episode of movies from green hell the movie podcast where we delve into films with heavy metal soundtracks terrible stoner movies and other terrible dog shit uh i'm dylan and joining me for this episode is john and chris from the cinema duel podcast which follows all manner of movies and agnes varda for some reason i cannot dissociate john from agnes varda after he mentioned her when we spoke three years ago on diary of doom the brand is strong. I like it. <laughs> the Varda brands. Someone has to talk. Someone has to sing her praises. So you carry the Varda me. torch now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> the Varda torch. That sounds like something from Elden Ring. You're the torch Varda. Yeah. <laughs> you also had me on as a guest on Cinema Duel, in which we discussed monster movies. Uh, on Cinema Duel, like I said, you discuss all manner of films. So let me put the ball in your court. What is it about, I guess, films that like really like drew you in? And then can you kind of talk about like your history with horror movies? Because most of the movies that uh, are probably will be discussed on this podcast are going to be of the horror milieu. Chris probably has a, uh, I think Chris's story is more interesting. So we'll start with mine. So there's like a buildup to it. But uh, the, <laughs> oh, it's uh... great. No pressure now. <laughs> you got a crescendo. Like Let me craft song. now a story in my head as you go through yours. <laughs> No, when it comes to uh, when it comes to movies, like when I was a kid, like Little Little Mermaid gave me nightmares. That was a notable that was a notable thing that uh, a story my parents love to tell me is that I had nightmares watching the little, little Little Mermaid, and so I didn't really dive into anything like a movie like the one we're going to talk about today, for example, would have sent me into who knows what kind of existential panic when I sort of you know, became a grown up and was able to sort of make my own decisions for this stuff. It became sort of a challenge of like, what, what kinds of movies can I watch to, you know, really like, wh what is my actual threshold for scary movies? And there, and so it became something of a fun challenge of you would go on dates with people to be like, all right, is the ring going to freak me out or the grudge or like a, a lot of 2000s is when I really started like seeing current horror movies. I, I've often remarked a very shaky time, I think, for horror movies. Like a lot of the stuff I've seen from there, uh, and obviously I've, I've, you know, I'm still on my cinema journey. There's probably a number of movies that there's a, a swath of movies I haven't seen, but like early 2000s horror was dicey. I felt like it was either good <laughs> or bad, and you have people in camps as to what is good and what is not good. You know, I tend to lean more towards like. Let the right one in and the descent versus like saw and all that kind of stuff like hostile and and the, those movies that were very popular but uh you know i'm we still have to talk about underworld eventually 
<laughs> fucking new metal, man. I, <laughs> All the I, underworlds. I definitely watched a lot of underworld in my younger days for sure. Um, but but skipping ahead a bit, like when since I started in the podcast with Chris, he has been able his his taste for movies that would be not to say that Chris is old because he's not old, but like, but but his knowledge of movies that are older uh, has actually brought me into like the orbit of stuff like Hammer horror movies, and that has been like my absolute favorite. Like, if, if we're talking about like, do I, when I want to watch a scary movie, it's pretty much at this point got to have Christopher Lee or Peter Cushing in it. Like, <laughs> the Devil or both. Rides, or the, both. The, yeah, or both. Bo I mean, oh, both is what right? is the best, right? But like, the Devil Rides Out. When I mean, which is a movie I think is fun to think about in conversation with today's movie is a movie where it's just, it's just an accepted reality that our protagonist is about to fight the devil, uh, and and like there there's you don't need to. Is this a mental illness thing? No, no, no. You just, it, it's its the devil. You fight the devil and we're going to have a good time with it. And I feel like that is, that is where I tend to have the most fun. Not that I think it's necessarily scary, but it's a great, it's a, it's an entertaining good time. And that's kind of where I'm at for horror movies at this point. At this point. <laughs> I'm glad that I have brought you into older horror because of, of my age, John. Thank you. <laughs> uh, yeah. I mean, I am significantly, uh, older probably by i think about 15 16 years and for me i mean the reason why i gravitated to those movies is and I, I think i've told the story on on cinema duel but um my father came over uh to america in the mid-1950s from germany and he learned to speak the language by watching movies on television growing up in the 50s and the 60s so when i was born in the early 70s i would watch the same movies that my father grew up loving so i grew up watching movies of the 30s and the 40s and humphrey bogart and john wayne and Cary grant and all those type of things but um the second i discovered horror and, and at that time it would have been like frankenstein and dracula i was i was hooked especially when it gets really freaky. I probably my earliest kind of real horror memory is seeing American werewolf in London um, on uh, HBO. It was, it was downstairs. My parents were watching. I kind of crept in and I saw the dream sequence with like the Nazi werewolves and being out in the woods in a hospital bed. And it was just so bizarre and so out there that it terrified me. And then from then on, I was hooked. I love that it kind of escape of horror, not so much like to what you were talking about, Dylan, with like the wonderful torture porn of the 2000s. That's never been my bag. My bag has always been much more otherworldly, supernatural, monster, alien, like get me something that is fantastic and unbelievable. And the scarier it is, the more I will drive to it. So I, I mean, I love horror. We do every year in October Cinema Duel, we do our um, our tribute to Hooptober, which is the fantastic marathon hosted over on Letterboxd, where you're watching and reviewing uh, 31 movies, but they have to adhere to certain rules and stuff. So I have seen an awful lot of crap. I have not seen Bong Evil. I have not seen any of the Bong Evils. I hope to never see any of the <laughs> Bong, Bong Evils. Evil. <laughs> the Evil like, Bongs, that whatever it was. <laughs> That's another franchise. <laughs> and hopefully uh, we will never experience that franchise. Oh, man. <laughs> Bong Eagle is um, also probably a Bongzilla song. <laughs> Most likely, yeah. I, 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 but, uh, you know, and then I think all three of us intersect with, I think all of us grew up at some point or another fallen in love with metal. So this is the, this is the perfect crossroads. Although when we talk about this film, I'm going to be interested to hear your guys' thoughts on the actual 
music that's in this movie. Uh, I, I get a lot of, I, visually, I love this movie. Visually, this movie is so metal. Um, orally, I don't know. So I'm, I can't wait to talk to you guys about that. Uh, not to get too far into it, but for a movie that, you know, features a kid who is a big metalhead, there's actually very little uh, presence of heavy metal in this movie, which... <laughs> Could be a good thing. It could just be like a production thing, you know, whatever. But we kind of discussed that further down the line. As you've been saying, you know, you're both music fans. You're active in musical projects. As I said, John was on the Dire of Doom podcast. Uh, we all have a penchant for heavy metal, or at least maybe in your guys' case, it kind of was a thing that you liked when you were younger before you broadened out your tastes. What Sir, I am wearing a Dark Throne shirt. <laughs> yes. Also very much a part of my life. Um, so it's been something that you've enjoyed uh, throughout very much like horror movies. Did they kind of go hand in hand for you? I mean, obviously there's so much imagery and heavy metal songs that just retell horror movies. There's horror, heavy metal bands. You know, just today, my partner and I were talking about maybe going to see Acid Witch when they play at St. Vitus. And they're mm. about... They're about as horror movie of a band you can get this side of the Misfits, you know, although arguably a better band than the Misfits at this point <laughs> in their careers. Yeah, careers. definitely now a better band than the Misfits. <laughs> uh, I think it's this. John, you actually had a slightly different experience getting into metal because of your your background. But for me, I mean, metal and horror were one of the same that they are methods of escape, you know, so when you're reading Iron Maiden lyrics and and or or um even like Black Sabbath, and, and, and you're getting into all these fantastic, weird imagery from the songs. Uh, to me, it serves the same purpose as watching a horror film, just kind of seeing something that's not real and kind of being able to escape into a very different reality than your own uh, for, you know, an hour and 25 minutes, which is, I think, the runtime of this movie. Uh, it, it, you know, so it, it, it's always there. It's it's ever present. And I still, even though to your point, we branch out into other things. I mean, I still have a, a soft spot for horror, just like I have a soft spot for metal. The, the the imagery that's you see in like in horror and, and and metal like the the that stuff for me I've always registered as like as as can't be fun and that's like it's it, the escapism like Chris talked about right mm -hmm. the the stuff that I tend to like gravitate towards as far as my my regular <laughs> listening stuff is tends to be much more uh, depressing and not as much fun but absolutely yeah like the like if you want to show me a a movie with someone with a demon with wings or you know tiny little gremlin monster fucked up little things it's it's a good time it's fun i love it and that's where i can that's where i can uh appreciate something like today's movie or or hor horror movies or just like we're, we're like going to an amana marth show like we're here to you know we're just here to have fun I am a vocal opponent of that band. <laughs> I had one of my least favorite experiences at their show and did not even see them per perform because the crowd was awful. I mean, if it makes you, if it makes you feel any better, I didn't pay to go see it. I was just put, I knew someone. No judgment on you, my So part. I got, so I didn't get, they didn't get my money. Does that help? <laughs> I guess, I suppose. I've just remarked. I mean, if you want to hear me bitch about that, it's in an episode of Diary of Doom. But uh, yeah, I just, 
terrible experience with that band. Um, Given how how much fun I had there, I would actually like to hear about yours because I was like, that doesn't <laughs> register for me, but that's okay. It was just a, uh, a, it was just an over, it felt like they oversold the venue and it just became like this pushing and shoving match to get, and this was following Obituary and Carcass, both of whom the audiences were very kind of lukewarm on, which I was like, how, how? Like, come how, on. How dare they? <laughs> okay, that does see, okay, yeah, that, that seems a bit weird. Yeah, uh, and and just the fact that there were like a number of people walking around with some questionable bands on t-shirts, you know, I was like, I'm getting weird vibes. It's like South Jersey showed up to see this show. <laughs> um, and it was, yeah, we so we ultimately were going to just stick around for a few songs and we just wound up leaving because uh, the venue was overcrowded. There were there were there were just like converging lines left and right everything was kind of going into a bottleneck and it just seemed like a bad time for everybody there was a point where i was like my feet were not touching the ground and i was moving but i was not moving out of my own volition like that kind of situation which not great considering there's been more than a few bad crowd incidents uh within recent years so that's my problem with that just the fans <laughs> were not cool yeah, that speaks to, I mean, uh, that it's the same with horror. I mean, just so much of the effectiveness of a show or of a film is based on the audience that you're watching it with. I mean, I have de definitely had my fair share of terrible audience events that have curdled a concert. But I could say the same thing for like going to see. A, in, in fact, we talked about this, I think this was one of the films that we talked about when we did our episode on cinema duel with you was I remember going to see Bram Stoker's Dracula in the theater with a bunch of people that were not prepared for that level of kind of overwrought mm -hmm. over the top kind of performances. And it killed that movie. It killed that movie for me for years until I finally was able to watch it with the right audience, uh, which in this case was myself and see like, Oh, this movie actually kicks all sorts of ass. It sure does. I have grown to dislike going to uh, movies that are not very loud uh, in the theater. Like if it's like a big action piece, usually it's fine because there's enough bullshit going on on screen that it can kind of drown out. It drowns everything. Being, yeah. like, annoying. I guess I was lucky that there were only a few people when I went to go see The Witch. But like if people were like talking through a movie like that, I'd be like, this sucks. <laughs> this yeah. is ruining the mood. You hear that one old guy a rope behind you just wheezing uncontrollably, just just <laughs> the people that like had to bring their kids because they have and they're just like, why did you bring your children to this? The kids um, have to know about Dune is what the reason why it is. The kids have to know about Dune. You need to know about this spice. The kids need to learn to live deliciously. <laughs> We should get to the film itself. So we watched 1987's The Gate uh, for this episode. Um, this was uh, directed by Tibor Takas, uh, a Hungarian director who established himself in the Toronto punk and metal scene in the 80s with his debut Metal Messiah, which was actually like a stage play. So we have a little bit of a Canadian connection here, um, considering. Uh, wait, Chris, remind me: Are you Canadian? Move and have moved out, or are you not? I don't. No, remember. only in only in spirit. John is the staunch Canadian. Okay, so he's our resident Canuck. So we, <laughs> we do have a little bit of a Canadian connection here. It's true. I was uh, I was looking up the director's uh, other credits, and 
I, oh, it's what, interesting. <laughs> what it's what specifically caught my attention was episodes of The Outer Limits and uh, uh, Earth Final Conflict, a a, a a a phrase that I have not heard in a very long time. Holy shit! That was um, and yeah, some movies and TV shows, but those those are the two that caught my attention. I'm out on the west. Uh, I'm, I'm a lot west of uh, Toronto, so Toronto specific references is kind of like yeah. I, I'm sorry that that wasn't me. Uh, he has also directed the sequel to this movie, The Gate 2, Trespassers, uh, I, a movie called I, Madman. Uh, he also directed the TV movie of Sabrina the Teenage Witch, which would go on to spawn the hit TV series with Melissa Joan Hart. A lot of Hallmark Christmas movies and the sci-fi channel classics Mansquito, Kraken, Tentacles of the Deep, Ice Spiders, and Mega Snake, which I'm sure are all (laughs) top-tier sci-fi channel things. Uh, Actually, these all came out back when the sci-fi channel was still the sci-fi channel and not Siffy. Yeah. Well, and like the the thing that I was impressed the most by was that like his most recent credit is from a movie, is from two movies that came out last year. Like the man is still working. Yeah, he's still doing... (laughs) <laughs> he's still doing these weird direct to streaming he's probably killing it on tubi uh we had a l- couple of uh you know preludes to this like chris you saw this movie in the theaters this was the first time for you john like what's uh opening thoughts for you guys like how is this how did you think it held up overall you know and w- initial impressions for those who are uh fresh to the film so i'll i'll jump in first because by dint of the fact that, John, you watched it for the first time on my Plex, tells you that I, of course, like this movie since I own it. You know, I must have seen this at least a dozen times. This was one of those films, when it came out, um, and you alluded to it when we were discussing earlier, like the, the marketing for this was what drew me because the commercials and the trailers had that great scene of um, we won't get into too specifics, but there is a guy who lives in the walls, a zombie in the walls who falls to the floor. When he falls to the floor, he transforms into all these little imps. And when I saw that in the commercials, that was like, Oh, I need to go see this. So I always liked it watching it. Now I, I literally watched it again this morning the biggest thing that I kind of think about when I watch this is they don't make movies like this. They don't make movies that are scary for kids. And that's what I really like about the gate. It is a, it is a kid's movie, but it is a scary kid's movie. It is not a family film that has a couple of jump scares. It is not a comedy with a couple of scare moments like they typically do now. This was a horror film geared toward 13 and 14 year olds. And I, I, I wish that we would have more movies like that because I found this still refreshing. I, I find Steven Dorff refreshing in this movie. <laughs> uh, I find yes. the whole cast extremely you know, refreshing in this movie because they act like kids and there's no like kid winking in the film. It's a straight, serious horror film that just happens to really not have any blood and is geared toward kids. It's got and some I- scary shit though still. <laughs> And I think that when we do end up getting talking about the soundtrack and the how metal is this, that's probably like I chalk that up to mostly this film being about being made sort of calibrated towards kids. And it's and it's still a like a horror movie, but it's but but sort of like what if we just adjust the you know, adjust the horror down to what we could get away with scaring kids. And like I mentioned before, like there's no way that I could have seen this movie when I was actually a kid, but now watching it, I've been like this would have actually been perfect to, to watch uh, at that age. And to the extent that I was asking my wife, like, 
could I get away with showing the kids this now? Because I think they might like it. When I when I went to log this on Letterbox last night, the very first review on it just said Stranger Things. Like, oh, absolutely. It was, it was, a, it was, it was yeah. a two word review that just said Stranger Things because of how this movie sort of sits in relation to like the t- the time it was made, the ways in which it feels like they're kind of doing a you know, there's obviously some uh, Spielberg type things going on in this movie with the kids. This obviously, Chris, you obviously knew about this going in because uh, you had seen it. But f- for me, this reads as here's a lost 80s classic kids movie. Like, this is what I feel like Stranger Things is trying to evoke. And this just is. And that's not to say this is like a perfect movie or anything, but all of the visually, the effects, the the soundtrack, the kids, like all that stuff that I get when I watch, you know, movies from that time frame. It's just another one of those movies that I just hadn't happened to have seen before. And that's kind of magical for me that when I go back and like, I only watch maybe the first two seasons of Stranger Things, I go back and like, I can see that they're trying to do this, but this just is that. Yeah. And I think one of the things that works about it, you know, when you realize, cause I don't necessarily love all of the like teen and younger person driven eighties movies. Like it's, it's very much like, you know, I, it's very much a thing that like just doesn't vibe with me. Like I generally don't like movies that are about kids um, because I feel like people don't know how to write kids. What's interesting about this movie is that I think they actually did a really good job writing the kids as the the main characters because they are the main characters. You know, you can't have them be like super fucking annoying and just like, you know, shitty little bratty kids. I mean, do they do like teen things that aren't like, you know, they're not supposed to yeah, but there's nothing that's so like super egregious about their presence. And I think that that actually really helps that they sort of wrote the kids as, I don't want to say adults, but with the with enough respect that they knew that they were going to have to be the vessel for the audience to go with them. So you're going to have to like like them, but they still have enough qualities to them that are like, oh yeah, they're still kids. And all the things that they do to solve the, the to find a resolution to this kind of like makes sense. They don't, you know, there's no Frog Brothers. There's no, um, like, I just watched right. Silver Bullet uh, fairly recently. And that's like, feels very of its time. This movie occupies a weird little space where it definitely was a success, but it's not a movie I've really heard about up until more recently. And John, I think you made a great point that Stranger Things definitely tries to be this and any number of other movies. And it just doesn't really stick the landing, if you ask me. That being said, though, not a perfect movie. Definitely some things of this that were very of its time that don't really like hold up. Um, and I think we'll get into it. Quickly, to just run through the cast, uh, we noted Stephen Dorff, our, our favorite buddy, Stephen <laughs> Dorff, who we all know is playing the incredibly hammy villain of Blade. Fuck, what's his name? Uh, he has such a great villain name in that movie. And he's such Deacon a good... Frost. Oh, Deacon, Deacon Frost. Frost. Yeah. Yeah. If you haven't seen it, do yourselves a favor and look up the deleted scene where he turns into a blood tornado. It's incredible. You're too late, Blade. The sleeper has awakened. Ah! Want my blood so much? Are we having fun yet, Blade? I sure hope so. After I'm done with you, I'm gonna fuck the whole human race. 
I'm not Frost anymore. I'm the plague of darkness. Anyone I touch will be turned. It is some of the worst CGI ever, and I'm glad that they cut it because there's already some bad CGI in Blade. But I do like Blade. And this is his debut um, as a little kid, and uh, he's I think he's actually very good in it. Um, he carries the movie very well and goes through hell. <laughs> this poor kid goes through hell trying to get his friends and his sister back by the end of the movie. Uh, and then the rest of the cast I really didn't know very well. Um, no. You have Krista Denton as his sister, Al, which I'm assuming is short for like Alice or Alexandra or something. Louis Tripp, right? Call yeah, me Alexandra. Alexandra. <laughs> she says the first thing she says to him. Um, yeah, she she doesn't like being called out. Yeah, right. Because uh, now she's a girl. She's growing up to be a woman, right? <laughs> uh, Louis Tripp as Terry Chandler, the metal kid, who is interestingly, I I this feels like a character that everyone would be like, I love him, and if you watch it later, you'd be like, God, he's really fucking annoying. He's actually not annoying. He's pretty low key. He's very quiet. He's not overly nerdy. He's kind of the opposite of Evil Ed from uh, Fright Night, who's very much that, like annoying, obnoxious, and you like to see yeah. him melt at the end of the film. Well, that goes back to Dylan, like what you said earlier. I, I think one of the strengths of this movie, and we can talk about some of the stuff that doesn't work, but the kids are written like real kids. There's no yeah. Kevin Mc McAllister who can ingeniously set these Rube Goldberg traps to stop the demons. These are kids and they're just written like normal kids. They got problems with their sister. They 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 have they have weird conversations about stuff. They try to make weird money off of geodes and crap like that. It it feels I I don't know if they do that a lot in Canada, John. You'd have to talk to us about the geode business there. I but, I uh, love the use of geodes in this movie. There's yeah. not enough geodes in things. But they are written really well. And the other thing that this film does too besides writing those characters like real kids that you can kind of empathize with is they know what scares kids. Like they know that when you are Steven Dorff's age, I don't know how old he's supposed to be playing in that film. You know, they set up really well that like when your parents are away, it's kind of scary. And when weird shit happens and your parents are away, that's even more scary to a kid. And then when your parents come back and are not quite what you expect, I think that's the most terrifying moment in the film for me. Uh, it, you know, like how what's more scary to a kid than having your mom and dad turn on you? You know, something like that. I think this film does that really well. There are literal monsters under the bed that reach out to try and grab them. And like, what's more yeah. scary to a kid than that? Like yeah that, other than the parents thing obviously but yeah like it's yeah and and another i mean uh we'll definitely talk about the effects and the monsters uh more in length but it, i like the fact too that this is a movie that does the thing where so it, there's definitely a real physical threat but also because they're like fucking otherworldly demon monsters they do a lot of like fucking around with their heads so kind yeah of, I, I kind of wound up describing this movie as sort of like Evil Dead for kids. It's not that it's less, you know, it's definitely a little bit less brutal than Evil Dead. It's not like it's making this like a family-friendly version of Evil Dead. It's just moving it to a house with a small group of kids trapped in it and the surrounding area, and they kind of have to deal with it. And there's weird stuff that happens in the house. You know, like they're crawling around the walls. There's hands that come out. There's bugs. And then there's like the actual literal threat. And I like that. I like that interplay between them fucking around with their heads and then actually like showing up and becoming a real actual problem. In yeah. as much as how much those things actually like were 
real or how much they manifested in there. And then I don't think there's anybody else really in the cast that's like notable. I guess maybe Carl Cranes for the workman who shows up later on in the movie. Yeah. And interestingly, the first draft of the script, uh, the script was written by Michael Nankin um, when he was unemployed and recently divorced, basing it on the, quote, nastiest thoughts from his childhood. See, I read that and my first thought was, oh, we're getting some divorced dad energy in the in the room here. And But but that, that, that actually ended up not being the case. Like, I'm not sure what having being divorced actually has to do with him making this movie in, in retrospect, but I, I was ready for some, you know... I was sorry for some contentious thoughts about women or something. <laughs> no, it ended up not being the case. I suppose maybe you could read it. Maybe Terry's parents were divorced, yeah. and and because his mother passing away is part of his like character's backstory, that might yeah be yeah, a part of it. That you know he's showing weakness because he now doesn't have like the person in his life that he probably you know turns to the most. And that um, that one scene uh, where they really explicitly kind of state what it's like and, and and again age aside i don't know if, if you guys had the same experience as a kid but my parents were divorced i was very much a latchkey kid uh which i can't even imagine leaving my son home alone now just because he would blow my house up but like i like there's the scene where lewis comes home he's looking for his dad and there's just a note that says hey away on business you know make yourself dinner or something like that that one scene kind of puts like it frames Lewis really well for the rest of the movie. His mother who we loved is, is dead. He doesn't have a lot of parental guidance. So he's probably over, you know, the, the other kid's house all the, the time. It's just a small little touch, but it worked really well to kind of color Terry in who would in inevitably do what I did as a kid would go into his room, put on heavy metal music, wrap a blanket around you like a robe, and then start to enact all of your weird, stupid metal fantasies. <laughs> I wanted to ask about that because there was definitely a moment where I recognized the he's mouthing along to the to the spoken word stuff. The only thing that struck me as weird about that moment was how long he wasn't holding a tennis racket like I used to pretending it was a guitar. <laughs> I mean, yes, obviously they should have done that. But like that 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 monologue goes on for significantly longer. Like I I'm usually I'm used to like you know, a handful of seconds, something, you know, to set the mood before the riff kicks in or whatever. Not only did he have that thing memorized, he had a, like, it was a significant, it was a decent chunk of speech that was actually going. And I was like, wow, how, how much longer is this going to be? Like, I, I didn't think the movie was that long. I know it's like fucking, it's like a Bell Witch album, <laughs> like leading up to it timely reference. Exactly. And we'll talk about that later. And just a couple other notes about the original, uh, Script, uh, Glenn and Al were originally, uh, Glenn being uh, Stephen Dorff and Al being the sister, uh, were, depict were originally depicted as being more mischievous than in the final film. The demons were also supposed to spread to the rest of the town as opposed to just like the backyard and the house where they were going to be dragging neighbors out into the streets and killing them. And the gigantic demon monster at the end of the film was originally envisioned as being made out of bloody entrails. So potentially... <clears throat> This could have actually been a lot more gruesome than what we got <laughs> and uh, probably would have been a much different movie. Would have probably been remarkable for 1987 to put a giant entrail made monster fighting a child. That probably yeah. would have not gotten past the, uh, the, uh, the censors. <laughs> that ending you're talking about the proposed original ending of like neighbors being dragged out into the street by the monsters has a uh, a real gremlins 
uh, yes. type, type vibe to it. And which for me, like when we were talking about kids being written as like normal kids, uh, that to me, like Gremlins was another touch point for me of being like, if we're talking about movies written then versus movies now, people being cast in movies that are somewhat like written and cast like appropriately that's what that person should be like as opposed to here is a a model or some someone someone that looks or sounds or acts in particularly arch and sane ways versus you know people like the the pelters and gremlins or these folks here uh in the gate here's my 40 year old son yeah (laughs) Yeah. straight home from third grade (laughs) that to me continues to be like one of the things i think i respond to but well it's hard to call this movie wholesome in a movie that has liberal uses of homophobic slurs but if you yes, just I pretend think, that part doesn't exist i uh, think that is yeah. one of the down like that is one of the unfortunate parts of the movie is that it did come out in 1987 there's definitely a lot of like raw use of uh slurs uh especially homophobic slurs that was unfortunately indicative of the era so there is that and uh you know it'd be remiss of us to not acknowledge that certainly nowhere near as bigot fueled as uh the evil bong movies i'm sorry to keep bringing them up but you know if we're gonna compare them on a meter the gate is like way at the bottom compared to how fucking awful those films are it's not to excuse it um, that's one of the, the drawbacks of the film. You know, the long and the short of the plot is basically uh, Glenn, played by Stephen Dorff, his parents go away for a long weekend and leave his sister in charge. There's a weird hole in their backyard. They dig up this giant geode that they're going to try to sell. And it turns out that the hole in the ground is actually a portal to like another dimension, uh, you know, inner earth, the hollow earth, whatever it might be. And there's these awful little demonic creatures that live in there. And it also turns out that his friend Terry, the the uh, the latchkey kid, uh, the little latchkey metalhead kid, I should say, uh, is a big fan <laughs> of the fictional band uh, Sacrifice, which is sort of like a, I think I described it as like a thrash metal-esque band. And they put out an album called The Dark Book, which is based entirely on like old demonic lore. It's sort of the Necronomicon of this film. And that's where they realize, oh, these guys actually based their writings on some real fucking demon summoning incantation bullshit. And we've now done that, except the demons have been kind of stuck there. They, they only got one sacrifice and they needed two. So the uh, family dog in a uh, twist of events kicks the bucket because he was uh, old and they, the, one of the idiot boyfriends of Al or you know, would-be idiot boyfriends Uh, I guess throws Angus into the pit uh, after it's been covered up and there's your other sacrifice and thus unleashes these little monsters unto terrorize uh, one suburban household in all of Toronto, it seems. Um, (laughs) High stakes here. The plot is kind of like silly when you look at it kind of out here, but it is again, very effective for all the reasons we stated before. But because, um, you know, the theme of this podcast is analyze, is kind of talking about the heavy metal aspects of the film, this is a movie that uniquely has heavy metal as part of its plot and not its soundtrack, which yeah. is very interesting because many times it's the reverse. This is a movie that is not about heavy metal or anything, and here's a bunch of metal songs that we're using to even are wildly ill-fitting for the scene, but depending on what it is, it can be very, very, very effective. I'm kind of of the mindset that some slower, moodier, and more uh, atmospheric metal is a little bit better for a horror movie. But usually we're given the stuff, you know, kind of in my brain, I always go to like 
the fact that like Saxon and Armored Saint were featured in the movie Demons, which is very fitting because that movie is balls to the walls crazy. Yeah. Like I said, there's a there's the fake band, which I love. I love a good fake band. Terry's room is completely like decked out with 1980, late 80s metal paraphernalia. You got Slayer posters, uh, the Trooper poster. A lot of Iron Maiden in there. A lot of Iron Maiden. A lot, a lot of Iron Maiden. And a lot of other bands that I couldn't really parse out who they were. He's got a, a so there's best. definitely Ozzy Osbourne is on there. Okay, yeah, um, that, I, and then sense. and then I we would be be remiss if we didn't talk about the fact that Lewis mm-hmm. has, like, apparently more than one battle vest, and one battle vest has Venom on it. Yes. And then the second battle vest has the Killer Dwarfs, which I'm just gonna hold up. I know it's not video, but I love the Killer Dwarfs. They were one of my favorite bands in the '80s. So when I saw a kid with the Killer Dwarfs back vest, I the back patch on his vest, I'm just I was, I, this is what I want. This is what I want. I, I, I love when a horror film has metal and it's actually real metal as opposed to, hey, check out my band, like, you know, Missile Bong. I don't know what Missile Bong is. That might <laughs> be a pretty bong. cool band, actually. But, you know, and there's, there's just these fake things on here. His wall is just ensconced with 80s metal and it's great. Although there's also a Cramps poster on there. So, I mean, I mean, that's Lewis is deeper. Lewis is a lot deeper than we give him credit for. His his breadth of musical knowledge seems to be pretty wide. I saw a keytar up on the upper right hand corner of his room as well. Someone's playing a keytar, so you know he's into some new wave shit as well. This is impressive that like I got my first battle vest when I was like in my 30s. And this kid, this 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 dumbass teen is like Venom. What 13 year old kid is so cool as to be like, I got Venom on my thing. Like my, my battle vest has Opeth on it. Like that's not near, like, I feel like that doesn't rank nearly as, as cool. And I'm a lot older. Hats off to that guy. It's, and I think it's interesting that Terry too is not like one of these awful, toxic, like keyboard warrior, you know, neck beardy metal kids that, you know, you run into so much now. He's like a pretty chill kid, you know, he's, he's, pretty approachable he's not like awful awful he's clearly like he's kind of vocal about things that he's that are an absence in his life like he actually he likes uh glenn's sister but not like in a romantic way he's like oh you're like kind of looking out for and she's like not the worst older sister they ultimately wind up kind of working together and he does have to save her at the end of the movie i think that that's another thing i like about the movie is that they completely forego romance horrible horrible young adolescent romance that i find sickening in 80s movies if any there's very little there's definitely some like you know horny teens in it but romance and like a romantic subplot is not one of the main uh focuses of the movie which i think helps it to streamline it and focus on what it's really about these fucked up little demons terrorizing the house this might be a chance to shout out uh the effects guy uh Dang it, I forgot his name, but whoever did the effects for this movie... Oh, no, wait, here it is. Uh, Randall William Cook. Randall William Cook. Saw him listed as working on Ghostbusters and, like, for me, the Lord of the Rings trilogy. Like, that is... Mm -hmm. uh, uh, I mean, obviously, there's a ton of people who worked on the effects there, but when I... uh, But when I saw that, that really got me to perk up because I think one of my favorite things about this, other than, like, the, the... the way that heavy metal is situated in this movie as being like a key part of the pl- plot without actually getting like too sort of worrying too much about it. It's like, are we actually going to listen to this stuff? No, it's just, it's a plot device to get us to figure out how the demons work. Um, but the other thing that I really liked about this was the, all the creature effects. 
the tiny little guys are my absolute favorite. If I could get an action figure of that tiny little guy, I'd I'd be set forever. <laughs> yeah, the special effects are pretty incredible in this movie, and I think it's kind of shocking, like what like the amount of special effects that are in this movie because you often in a creature feature type film uh, a lot of the times when you don't have the budget or the time or whatever you wind up having to like you know unless it like makes sense with the story like alien where you're using the darkness and the crampness to like enhance the horror aspect of it you're probably not getting a good look at a creature for most of the movie you might get something at the end you know depending on what it is it could be very cool and make the whole 85 minutes before worth it or it's going to be really disappointing because it's like a bad prop and this you've got practical effects all like across the board so you've got a lot of smoke you've got a lot of fun 80s like neon lighting uh the little monsters are portrayed it's like a combination of stop motion uh, that's superimposed on the screen, as well as guys in suits like yep. running around what I assume are just like things that look like parts of the house if they were like scaled up to make them look like they're running around sort of like a uh, honey, I shrunk the kids kind of effect. And they, these little, they're like these little, I can't even, I don't even know, they kind of look like little gray aliens a little bit. Yeah, but they're very cool. They're like mole people, I, I guess. That's what I kind of jokingly referred to them as, like mole people. They are kind of the stars of the movie for the most part. In the final act, there's this reveal of this giant, like, I don't even really know what it is. It's like a big serpentine uh, reptile monster with four arms, and it's done entirely in stop motion. And I had to like double take because I could not believe how fucking good it looked. Like yeah. I love all the Ray Harryhausen stuff, but you can generally tell like, all right, that clay dinosaur is not there, but I appreciate that they tried to make them look good. And, you know, it, it, I still think it's awesome. This because of the lighting and the fact that it's like a dark green, like it really blends in super well. And I was blown away by how awesome this monster was. And it makes me sad that you don't see cool monsters like this in big Hollywood productions really anymore. A lot of the stuff kind of looks very samey. It's all CGI kind of rendered. But man, this thing looked so fucking cool. I want a tattoo of this thing. <laughs> With those little stubby arms that don't seem yeah. to do anything. It's a great design. I I I, I I love when it comes out of the, the, the floorboards of the house, all the little kind of like homunculi mole people are, are, are cheering it and worshiping it like they're, they're deity. But th this, the effects here, when they do some of that, like that forced perspective stuff um, where it's obviously the, the one scene that I love the most is when um, Terry falls down the hole and it's a great shot. You, you can kind of figure it out. They did a forced perspective where it's not stop motion. It's man in suit Terry's legs are actually huge props and his waist up is the forced perspective of him just mm -hmm. kind of launching, you know, shuddering and fright. And then they just bite on his legs and it just looks so, it looks so good. This whole film is really knows with its very tiny budget. I think it was only 6 million, which is probably why they focused it to the one house as opposed to having it spread out. But it knows where to put that that money. It, you know, it, it's why I think I like this film as much as it does, because you don't see monsters like this anymore. Even when we have hundreds of millions of dollars in the best CGI in the world, they all kind of look the same. And you don't get little mole people like this. 
Yeah, I really can't undersell uh, how much those mole people kick all kinds of ass. And 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 the lack thereof within current cinema is just one of its uh, one of the biggest tragedies. Yeah, even something as simple as when they first appear and the one gets its arm caught in the door. Yeah. You see the arm start to shake and then it drops to this was also in the trailers originally. It drops to the ground and my brain always said it turned into maggots and the maggots go away. But when you actually look at it, it just turns into these like little soupy. I don't know what it turns into. They're not maggots. They it almost looks like sperm. <laughs> it's like a bunch of <laughs> I was sperm just actually going to say that. Yeah, and shoots under the door. But it's it's a it's a great little effect because it's just so inventive. You don't expect the arm to be caught, and then you don't expect the arm to drop, and then you don't expect the arm to turn into sperm. You know, I don't think anyone. <laughs> yeah, no one. That's something you would expect. <laughs> Only in Canada. <laughs> I don't know if you guys watched it or not, but they like put out that. I mean, in my opinion, it was that really bad sequel to Cloverfield where it was like the Cloverfield paradox. And there's like, oh, Lord, yeah, uh, there's like a part where Chris O'Dowd, who is tra- trying to be not funny in that movie, gets his arm chopped off, like through dimensional stuff. And then he finds his arm crawling. It's too bad his arm just didn't turn into sperm. And he yeah, just, like, it back. <laughs> I think that movie um, would have been 10 times better with that. Yeah, it's like uh, it's like when they it's it reminded me of like in Gumby. It was like a Gumby effect and they would kind of just like reform back into Gumby. And uh, I think it's supposed to suggest that these little monsters aren't really what the evil is. It can kind of become anything because there's another uh, monster like they really throw a lot at you in this. There's the man living in the wall, the old workman that was the first sacrifice yeah. to these monsters. And he is this like very cool looking zombie that kind of doesn't really look down at the ground very much. He's like, but I guess when you've been sleeping in a wall for most of your life, you might have uh, some issues with your, your eye trajectories. But he is also in the movie uh, and very cool. And there's a couple other notable effects and things that happen in the film that are terrifying. I think uh, you've got a melting phone, which yeah. looks very cool. The melting phone looks great. Uh, you've got the dog that dies and they think it's Terry sleeping in, uh, in a mattress on the floor over at Glenn's house. Terry walks out of the bathroom and they're like, oh, who's this? And poor Angus, the dog who does wind up coming back to life is just laying is just his corpse is just in the bed. And then there's another scene where Terry's the specter of his mother approaches him. And when he realizes that he's sort of dreaming, he's not hugging his mom and bracing her. He's holding the dead corpse of Angus. (laughs) Okay. Thank you for confirming that the dog was already dead because at the moment I was like, is the fall supposed to have killed the dog? Because they wasn't that high up. So I, uh, I'm glad you were able to correct that. Little no, bit dog was definitely dead. Yeah. Okay. okay cool. <laughs> and then uh, lastly, uh, there's a part where the the would be uh, they're not specters because they don't die. They're just away. Uh, the uh, the parents come back and it's just the demons fucking with the kids' heads. And when Glenn approaches them. Uh, and touches his father's face, he actually rips his father's face off. His face melts. And I was like, holy shit. <laughs> that would have really probably wigged me out as a kid. It's intense. Yeah, it's a it, real intense scene. And just that 
the, the way the audio does his voice where he grabs Glenn by the throat and says, you've been bad. That is that to me is that's the most terrifying moment. And I love the callback later. It's the easiest effect in the world because all it is is just a swap where earlier in the film, he, they walk down to the basement and you see the picture hanging of the family and everyone looks happy. And then when they go down the second time, he looks at the picture and everyone in the picture is dead except for him. And it's just a real quick oh, moment. You know I mean, I didn't catch that. Probably. Oh man, you got to go back. Man, that's a that's a great little part. Yeah, they're all just and they're all except for Glenn. Glenn is the same, but every other member of the family is just is covered in blood and just laying dead in the in their in their poses. It's such a great little. Those are the things that are horrific. You know, they may not be horrific to an older crowd that is just inundated, but if you're again, this movie comes out, you're 13, 14 years old these are the things that you're probably thinking about. You're thinking about, you know, going, having that first party, you're thinking about, you know, being away from your folks and stuff like that. I, I love that it takes these small scares and it really blows them out to make it, to make it effective like that. That being said, not everything works. I think the main cast is really good. I think every supporting character who is a kid in this movie is it's like almost atrociously terrible. Yeah, they're not great. Like the three mains are good and everyone else just feels like you know, somebody kind of what they feel like, like they, they found in the neighborhood. Yeah, it could have been the cast to like, you know, Nightmare at Elm Street Five at that point. You know, it's the movie could have maybe capitalized on like killing more teens in that way, but I, I get that they didn't want to do that. They didn't want to make it that kind of a movie. The first effect in the film is is Glenn levitating, which is like weird that there's like people like, oh, it's real as long as we just do this. And then he like floats up and they're all just like, it was an illusion. And I'm like, you literally saw a child rise into the air and you're like, eh. Actually, that's the one exception to the terrible cast. I kind of love the nerdy girl who like gets them to do it because then they have that sting at the end. She's like, well, I guess I won't do that again. It's like, wah, 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 wah. There's almost like that noise should be there. And Glenn does get a third eyeball on his palm, which also looks pretty cool. And he stabs himself in the eyeball. That part um, waked me out a little bit. Yeah, that's a great great effect in the movie and before his sister gets taken away they're trying to get their dad's shotgun and uh, terry has been taken by this point he goes to get the shotgun and terry is like hiding in the shotgun case or something or at least his head is and he's like biting glenn to which his sister stabs him in the eye with a barbie doll yeah. best use of a barbie doll they do try to close up the uh the gate the uh, the titular gate by reading some Bible verses, which I thought was kind of fun, uh, which because the uh, the phrase was completely made up, uh, which is, you know, oftentimes happens in Hollywood movies. You two are uh, folks with some complicated feelings on the church. How'd that make you feel? <laughs> I, well, Chris, you go first. I don't care. <laughs> I think it was hilarious that like they tried to read and they just couldn't find a passage that yes. made sense. So they just throw the Bible in. That to me makes a lot of sense. Like, like literally like throwing the book at you. Yeah. There, okay. This, this is, I'll get to what we're talking about specifically, but there was a, I don't know, reading about this movie afterwards, uh, after I've watched it, there was someone, I saw some 
comments from some review talking about how this movie is like confirming the satanic panic of the 80s it's like support uh, supporting that and i was like i don't think i really don't think it is because there's no like there's no real moralizing to this movie the the fact that they the fact that they go to the the way that heavy metal actually works in this story is like this is how they are able to find out how the demons work and it just so happens to be that it corresponds but at no point did they ever use heavy metal to conjure up these things they're not be, no one's ever being punished for their actions um and as far as like the the bible stuff goes it's just it, it, it's about as half-assed as everything else that the kids are doing because they're kids right like they're just sticking yes. it through with kid logic of like i don't know throw some bible verses at it like that's, yeah, it, like that's, that's like literally what do. it is because they lose the album right the album burns up that had all the rights and rituals so like well what else we got well, we got a bible let's try it it is so tossed off to the side that there's no yeah i i, I would be shocked if that was taken all that seriously i mean again I, especially I, for a movie that really didn't do a lot of money <laughs> right right i mean well you know people caught up in the satanic panic they will They'll find They'll anything find to, to, to pin the blame of the, the devil on, you know? And I, I think that's a really good observation that like, you know, the metal band wasn't trying to summon demons. They just accidentally found a book and thought it sounded cool and made an album about it. They did all die. <laughs> but this, this movie is more just like the result of an accident and kind of like um, blissful ignorance. And then you know, they realized, well, oh, we made a mistake. Let's try to fix our mistake. And so they used the closest thing on it. It's like, they're never explicitly stated as being like Christians, Catholics. There's no real big statement about it. It's just simply like, well, if it said that they can be sent back using a Bible, then I suppose we should use a Bible. So, and then they ultimately do, like I said, throw the book at them to close it up, which is really fucking funny. I had a lot of fun with how they were just sort of, sort of flailing at ideas i guess and there's a really funny line when they do go back in the house obviously it doesn't work they they have to do a little bit more to fight the demon they have to make it blow up of course it's an you know it's a movie um but when they go back inside they find two of al's friends hiding in a closet with like garlic and like <laughs> spatulas and knives up as crucifixes to which Glenn, they're like, oh my God, are we dead? He's like, yeah, we've all died. Welcome to heaven. Which <laughs> I just thought was a really, there are a lot of funny insults that are just like very creative, but again, like maybe not in the best taste. Yeah, the it was the 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 back and forth between I think it was Glenn and one of Al's friends. Yeah. Until we get to the use of slurs, I was like, how like this is a kids movie. Where are we going with this? And I was like, I, I liked how they were able to do a version of that right up until they hit that moment and then i'm and then i'm like okay fine we're, we're, we're we, i have to bounce out but up until that the, the the trading of insults i was like this is actually kind of fun yeah i mean and ultimately everything does get resolved by the end uh glenn stabs his third eye he pleads for the demons to take him instead and uses a toy rocket to uh basically blow up the big snake from within and then that implodes the gate and uh, I don't know how Glenn lives because the demon literally like picks him up and like chucks him like out the window. <laughs> He's propelled outside by the explosion or rather his uh, claymation puppet stand in uh, goes flying out the house. But I love that okay. shot. The shot of him being shot out of the house. Yeah. I was dying laughing. You see his just, whole body just flip and flip like this. <laughs> yeah, it is great. I, 
Uh, you you gotta love a movie where they can't get the entrail made demon past like the final draft, but leave the kid getting thrown like fifty feet out of a house in like clearly visible. Very good. Angus is alive. Al's alive. Terry's alive. They even find Terry's shoe that he lost. Yeah. Another funny throwaway line when he's in the pit. He's like, they took my shoe. And a fresh tree growing where the uh, where the hole had been uh, opened up, right? Because originally the, the, the way they found the hole was there was a storm. Their big tree in the backyard that had his tree house, it blew over. And that's what exposed the, uh, the gate. Yes, the first I probably time. should have said that earlier, but it, it has a nice happy ending. It, it's it's <laughs> like even the dog who apparently just died of old age. They're like, nah, the dog comes back too. It's fine. <laughs> we found him in the afterlife. Like, yeah, don't look for a lot of logic. Like, I understand the sister and Terry coming back, and then they're just like, guys, this is this is a this is a PG movie. The dog's got to come back too. Okay, <laughs> all right, just have the dog come out. So, uh, yeah, overall for a movie that does not really feature a heavy metal soundtrack uh does i think a great job of featuring heavy metal uh visuals and uh i i don't know if ideology is the right word but like heavy metal aesthetic into its plot in a very good way i would yeah. love a, a recreation of the sacrifice album it looks so cool that's something um, that we didn't talk about yeah yeah like, that album is amazing and I remember for years trying to find albums that like kind of did the same thing that had like a whole world and had books and stuff. Like I, I haven't been able to really find one. I, I think the most recent we're talking about like new kind of metal is uh, the the last, the most recent album by the band Stormkeep. Oh, wow, man, Chris, we are like <laughs> linked up today <laughs> mentally. Cause it has the map and every, like it yeah, has yeah. all this great stuff in it. Like that reminds me of the sacrifice sacrifice. I forget how they spell it. Like, like the dark book album. That's what I want from my metal. I, I, I wish we had more metal that would be that bold in its, art design and direction it's sacrifice with a y because with of the a course. y yeah so uh Such a yeah thing. like uh i guess like uh what are your kind of closing thoughts for it i mean overall i i like this movie it's a movie <laughs> it's it's a it's a pretty well-made movie and aside from some uh unfortunate language of the time uh, i think it's actually i think it's really good uh i could it's less than eight less than 90 minutes you can pop it on like pretty easily i think it works for a pretty wide range of uh, audiences and doesn't stray into any obnoxious 80s um, stereotypes too, too, too hard, which is good for me. And I think the fact that it is kind of, I can't really think of a better word, but like, I guess the fact that it's a little bit more conservative in its use of metal as a framing and character device, as opposed to like a, an actual essential part of the movie, I think actually helps it to, kind of be freed of those restraints because i feel like if this was made with the intention of oh it's got to be like a metal movie that could have probably turned out a lot dumber and a lot like sillier yeah i re i really like the balance that that metal is used in this movie which is that it is it, there there's an extent it, it's like exposition basically like they get the trappings right like the the aesthetics right i like that part but then it's mostly just no it's just so we can understand give a context for why the demons are showing up and potentially how to you know it just gives them a, a points them in the next part of the plot which it, it, it basically allows us to sidestep most of the things you might want to talk about if you were having if it was a movie that was much more central about metal 
Yeah, like uh, like as opposed to like Stranger Things, where you literally have a character like playing Metallica, summoning like bats, and I'm like, this doesn't make any sense. <laughs> yeah, you know that's a good parallel between the two because I think Stranger Things has more metal in it, just because hey, we licensed Metallica and we're gonna do these songs, but it doesn't embrace metal like this movie does. Like it doesn't like it's it, it's it's the trappings, it's the design, it's the aesthetic. Like anyone can sit and have long hair and just wear a battle vest and you know do this shit like uh, like uh, whatever his name was Munson uh, Eddie Munson in Stranger Things, and that's fine. He doesn't have the metal soul that uh, Lewis Tripp, a.k.a. Terry, does in this film. And I do love it for that. I, I, I think the movie still holds up well. And I, I stand by my thing that it's a dumb movie, but it doesn't treat its audience or its characters dumb. I wish Correct. they made more horror movies like this. I, it, I, I, there is room for we could talk about with like what horror have we been watching lately there is room for the most gratuitous violent disgusting gore filled you know films you can imagine but there's also room for just some like legit scary stuff aimed toward younger viewers because sometimes it's that's the way you get them in to see those later films and see those those more adult fare horror stuff so i love it still uh highly recommend um at the moment it's on tubi if you want to watch it uh it was on shutter a while ago um maybe it'll pop up there again so it seems it's like on plex too like I... like just generic plex if you subscribe to plex it'll <laughs> i wasn't about to suggest that everyone has not my plex. plex i mean it is on my plex <laughs> but it is also on like plex tv it, it's on voodoo i think as well if voodoo is still around it sure is um you can find yeah plex <laughs> general plex is pretty rough i've got on record before by saying it's <laughs> pretty rough flex account-based is def better but you know um it's definitely a better useful platform my last note about this movie interestingly was that uh and this will actually harken back to the very first episode of movies from green hell a 3d remake by alex winter of this was in production that was originally set for release in 2011 but obviously that has never happened yeah that i definitely so cool oh. <laughs> I, I definitely caught that too, and, and especially thinking about our, our the previous episode we did uh, talking about Freaked. I would be, I mean, I would just like to give Alex Winter money to make a movie. So, like on that level, I could get on board with it. But I also remember when we talked about Freaked that, like, I really liked how it was a product, like it, like that there has not been any attempt to modernize, mm -hmm. reboot any of that kind of stuff. I like that it just sort of exists as this moment in time and who knows people made me care about a lego movie so like at that after that i can pretty much like you can the possibility for any premise to be good is possible but i am also in no hurry to see a remake of this uh that it, at the risk of stripping out all the things we like about it i guess i i'm definitely in the camp of i think this movie is very good on its own it does not need to be remade everything about it essentially works and you know, if you're just going to essentially do the same movie, but include the parts with like the monsters attacking the town and it's just going to be like an army of CGI little monsters, like eh, that doesn't have the same that doesn't have the same effect as being attacked by a bunch of clay puppets. So, yeah, like, yeah. if you told me Phil Tippett was going to go Mad God on yeah. a yes. remake of this, then sign me the fuck up. Yeah, well, I don't think that's going to happen. No, but... probably not. <laughs> probably not. The, 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 the only thing that I would 
counter with and i am not one for remakes really at all uh just leave the original but um in an interview with bloody disgusting uh winter was was aiming to do kid-friendly horror like was aiming Mm -hmm. to kind of keep the aesthetic and the and the vibe alive which would have been cool um just to kind of see how they would have done it but uh you know, it is what it is, and we will always have this version. I will, however, probably never after seeing the trailer watch the sequel. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know if I was if I was going to carve out time for that. Uh, also, it's is that like... one on your plex, Chris? <laughs> no, it is not. I have I've never seen the sequel, despite loving the first one as much as I do. The Gate Two. We opened up another hole. <laughs> Before we go to a broader discussion of things we've been watching, consuming, uh, I just want to do a little recap of uh, not this last week, but the week before. So that would have been April 9th to April 15th, or Hell Week, as I referred to it as. Uh, I went to four concerts and one music festival. It was absolutely exhausting. And I think the bookending shows justify naming it uh, Hell Week. So on Easter Sunday, I went to go see Satan, uh, uh, supported by uh, Night Demon and Haunt. So it was just like a Brad Metal bonanza. These were all at uh, St. Vitus Bar, uh, by the way. Uh, Tuesday, I ventured out to see The Well, uh, which is a great like psychedelic heavy riff band uh, with support from Fire Breather and the very excellent Castle Rat, um, who do a very great stage show. I went back to St. Vitus again uh, to see uh, the band Worm do their debut live show, which was fucking awesome. Uh, They had support from The Silver and Exsanguinated. And then I made my way down to Philadelphia to go see, uh, just to go to day one of the Decibel Metal and Beer Fest. And I got to see uh, Phobophilic, uh, Worm again, Undeath, Frozen Soul, Mismore which was one of the reasons I went down because I still hadn't been able to see Ms. Moore and I really liked them. And uh, probably most importantly was uh, Gorguts because uh, Gorguts oh. hasn't played in a very long... We're just really sticking with the Canada theme today. <laughs> uh, but they have not played for a long time or put out any new material. So that was just fucking awesome. I'm a very recent convert to uh, Gorguts being... Was that them doing... Because weren't they supposed to be doing the Obscura album like in total at some point? I don't know. I thought I had uh, mistakenly told my friend they were doing Obscura and another one of their albums. I had erroneously said that to my friend that uh, they were playing Obscura and Considered Dead uh, straight through. But they did not. They just played songs from Considered Dead and Obscura. Oh, okay. And uh, it was great. Uh, they were fantastic. Uh, it was an incredible performance by them. I also got uh, incredibly drunk and had maybe the worst night of sleep in my life in that I really didn't get any. It was just, yeah, I'll spare you the specifics. Um, I didn't stick around for the Black Dahlia murder, which is no shade to them. They're just a band that I haven't really spent any time with. Um, But, you know, obviously it sucks that Trevor uh, is no longer with us. And I know that his absence was a profound effect on a lot of people. Uh, But it looked like everybody else had a really great time at that, um, at uh, that set. Uh, made my way back to New York to go see Hell at St. Vitus, along with Cowardice and Funeral Leech. And then last night, I saw Skinny Puppy on their farewell tour, uh, and it rocked. Uh, Ogre was dressed uh, like a gray alien with like a prosthetic head and everything. Oh, got shit. His br- got his brain ripped out. So, yeah, there's saw, been a I lot of Canada of talk on here. <laughs> I saw that. I saw I saw some pictures from that show, and I was like, why is there an alien on stage? I know. I was confused because I've I've seen pictures of their previous shows, and a lot of the times it looked like, 
you know, a lot of like surgical equipment, real blood, getting cut, putting like weird metal things on, uh, dressed up in like with like animal bones. And then this was, I'm an alien. So hey, but it was awesome regardless. If it's their farewell tour, you know, you got to just bring out all the stops, I guess. They go out. Yeah. So that was my uh, hell week. And uh, but in terms of stuff that I've been uh, enjoying, I, or rather, I'm going to let you guys go. If you guys watched anything uh, lately that you've been uh, really digging, whether horror or otherwise. Uh, I can go. Um, so th- this isn't the most recent uh, watch, but for me, the movie I thought of the absolute most while watching The Gate last night was Psycho Gorman. Um, oh, yeah, I could totally that, see a lot of that. I, which a, a movie in which kids dig a hole in the ground and unleash terrible monsters, etc. Like that. Uh, <laughs> and because Psycho Gorman ends up enjoying hunky boys, it ends up being a weird reversal of this movie's homophobia, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> I don't like hunky boys. Or do I? Or do I? <laughs> So Psycho Gorman, I think, is a movie that actually, like, it, obviously it's a lot more recent and like Stranger Things has some, some of the more modern stuff, it, it works in the same way kind of by default, but I do think it is, is much more successful at trying to emulate the the vibe of those 80s movies that we've sort of been talking about here. And then my other, the other movie that I did see uh, a week or two ago, at the end of The Gate, when he stabs the third eye in his hand to get rid of it that reminded me just the tiniest bit of uh brandon cronenberg's possessor a movie Mm. that uh was recently recommended to me on uh cinema duel which features a moment where a character has an implant in their uh in the back of their head that they stab out holy shit possessor is good possessor is incredible my impression coming into like david cronenberg's stuff having heard a, like a whole lifetime of people saying how fucked up he was was like it is fucked up in spots but a lot of other places it's fairly muted and having to sort of readjust my expectations for it watching possessor for the first time was all of the impressions that i had ever heard about david cronenberg before having seen it that's what possessor felt like to me is like everything is we are vibing on just about every single level of every part of that movie and then when the really fucked up shit happens it's just completely devastating. I cannot say enough good things about Possessor. Yeah, <laughs> neither can I. And I also was a big fan of uh, his most recent film, Infinity Pool. I was a bit, I think Possessor is a little bit better. I, I kind of like what Possessor is about more, but I cannot stress how fucking wild and crazy and a good time Infinity Pool is. After watching Possessor, my first thought was, I should have gone to see the advanced screening of Infinity Pool when I had the chance. But still happy. The good news is we live like in a in a world where you can you can still go see Infinity Pool. <laughs> yeah, I'm pretty yeah, sure I'll, it's readily uh, available. Yeah, uh, I'll get around to it for sure. Yeah, same here. I I I saw Antiviral his debut, which I was a little lukewarm on. Uh, I absolutely loved Possessor, so it's just a matter of just trying to find the time to to get Infinity Pool in. But I love how he takes kind of both ends of his father's kind of film spectrum. Like to me, Possessor felt like what if like history of violence and like having this really cool kind of movie that it, not the exact plot of history of violence, but it, what we're really talking about is kind of like spies and, and this kind of espionage shit, but let's mix in all the body horror of the early stuff and kind of blend those two together. Uh, it's a great movie. Yeah. It's funny how, well, again, it's, 
funny that we're just keeping it Canadian this this episode with because uh, Cycle Gorman done by uh, Stephen Kostansky, Canadian. David and Brandon Cronenberg, Canadian. Although David Cronenberg by this point almost seems like like a wholesome old man, and his son is like, yeah, yeah. I have fucking issues. <laughs> Of course I have issues. Look at who my dad was. Yeah, I was going to say, who could have called that? <laughs> and then I like to imagine real life, David's like, Brandon, come on, don't you want to like just come over and like play some Mahjong? And he's like, I'm too busy writing my stories. Like, there's time for stories. Come hang out. I got a new dog. <laughs> we got some new, we got a big screen TV. We can watch an old movie. He's like, I'm too busy, dad. I'm too busy being sad. I went to work on Star Trek today. Let me tell you all about it. <laughs> I will take us out of Canada um, for the film that I want to talk about. And I, and I will preface it by stating that uh, I, I even said at the beginning of this episode, I'm not big into slashers. I'm not big into realism, but I love practical effects. So it was, it was with trepidation that I was finally cajoled into seeing Damien Leone's Terrifier. Oh yeah. I haven't gotten around to that yet. Okay. So uh, I had seen the first one and if, featuring you know new presence art the clown um and on halloween night he kills a bunch of people um and i I'll be, i wasn't really enjoying it and i won't really this isn't really a huge spoiler but there is a moment where you know art the clown is hacking and slashing people with all manner of weird things but there's one point in that first film where all of a sudden he does this like James Bond move and he takes a gun and he shoots somebody and kills him with a gun. And he like does this incredible kind of amazing pose. I was just like, what the hell is this? All of a sudden this movie is not doing what I thought it was supposed to be doing. Uh, and of course I don't want to shock anybody because there is a sequel and that's what I want to talk about. But Arthur clown dies and at the end comes back. So now we're firmly into, this is no longer a slasher. This is taking on like Freddy Krueger proportions of weirdness. So it was with that, that I finally saw terrifier two last week. And uh, you want to talk about just like an exercise in how much gore that's practical. You can put on the screen. Uh, this movie sets out to show you what that looks like. It is a two and a half hour movie, which is insane for a slasher. That's, that's unjustified <laughs> if you ask me. <laughs> Here's the thing, though. It is, but I can't tell you what to cut. <laughs> because Oh, yeah, it's one of it those situations. It is so insane. The whole time I was like, this is the most insane thing that I have seen. This is, I'm seeing stuff that I never thought I would have seen. And it's all practical and it's low budget, but it looks like everyone is having the time of their life doing it. It has an ending that is absolutely bug nuts insane that I can't, like, I still am trying to wrap my head around. So if you can stomach that thing and you can, you know, you're in the mind for a slasher that very independent, just kind of working on its own. This guy, Damien Leone, he does all the effects himself. He's also the director. He's also the writer. Uh, if you just want to see one guy just kind of completely realize his vision, check out Terrifier 2. <laughs> it's, it is, it's, it's crazy. It is on my list. You're talking about uh, slashers. So I have been continuing on with my goal of the year to watch all of the uh, major slasher movie franchises. Um, so I... Knocked out Hellraiser 4, Bloodline, which is a uh, second of two movies I've watched recently with that were that were, quote, directed by Alan Smithy. Um, <laughs> uh, Adam Scott is in Hellraiser 4 and he is absurd and ridiculous in it. And the movie is definitely flawed, but I had a very good time <coughs> watching it. 
cannot say the same for Halloween for the return of Michael Myers, which is a rewatch for me. And uh, that movie is pretty not great. The highlight of which <laughs> is Donald Pleasance, who's way too fucking old to be in this movie, going about a gas station going, Michael, Michael, and then no. And also he exploded at the end of Halloween too and has like some minor burns on his face and a limp. Yeah, so not great. Good for him. Good for him for a cover. <laughs> to be clear, yeah, I, I don't think you can actually kill Donald Pleasance. He's just, just him as an actor. I think he's uh, immortal. Yeah. Speaking of him, uh, I also watched uh, The Witchfinder General, which does not feature Donald Pleasance. It features Vincent Price, but it was originally written with uh, with uh, Donald Pleasance in mind. Uh, I thought that was actually uh, quite a good movie. I expected yep. some real witchcraft, but instead it was a, a rather damning message of weaponized belief and uh, Price is fantastic in it. Beyond that, I watched uh, From Beyond, which fucking rules. I watched the second or i guess the uh the last two entries in the female prisoner scorpion series uh be stable and 701's grudge song both of which have some pretty rough stuff in it and the last one's more of a moody crime film than it is like a uh, kind of a psychedelic prison movie but like i really did enjoy the that series like big fan if you're looking for some good like japanese grindhouse type type stuff um i've heard a lot about that so but i've never heard anyone really talk about what they thought of it so you giving it the thumbs up is now going to probably push me over the edge to check that series out yeah i mean i credit nathan from i hope you suffer to uh turning me on to those uh all four of the movies are on uh shutter yeah they're on shutter right yeah and you can get a i think arrow has a a package of them as well i don't know if they have it available right now but they're all on shutter if you want to watch it in addition to that, I watched Alice Sweet Alice, which is kind of a half proto slasher, half John Waters movie, but I fucking loved it. Um, it was filmed and takes place in Patterson and Newark, New Jersey. So it's essential New Jersey movie doing if you're from the <laughs> state like I am. The Mask of the Red Death, uh, the oh, fantastic movie. movie Roger Corman did. Uh, definitely dated. Uh, again, some cringy stuff, especially in terms of like if we're talking about race, but like really great sets and costumes and you know again vincent price is just so charmingly hammy and weird in it and uh as far as i know not a literal adaptation at all of the actual post story so much that they put another post story in it um but a fun movie nonetheless uh i rewatched gamera 2 advent of legion with sarah I've seen that a few times we're going through the 90s gamera movies and i i really like that one as well And lastly, finally got around to watching a movie I've been wanting to see for well over, I think, like 10 or 15 years now, uh, a Japanese sci-fi action movie called Gunhead, which is like a weird blend of Aliens, Terminator, Predator, The Matrix, and Metal Gear Solid. And yes, yeah, (laughs) yes, this movie has some faults, but I also really liked it. (laughs) It's got a great aesthetic. Late 90s Japan was a wild time, but it's got excellent miniature work. It's a very like physically driven role with a lot of like actors, uh, special effects uh, stuff going on. Um, the director of this would go on to work in the 90s Godzilla films. And there's a weird bio droid villain in it that I don't really know what it actually, like where it came from in the movie. It just sort of appears, but it looks cool as fuck. The soundtrack rocks. And this has never been released, uh, at least recently. 
Um, I had to watch this on the internet archive, so the quality was not great. I would love to see uh, an updated release of this movie with like a good, clean, you know, visual presentation. But uh, this is a movie that just does not stop for a minute. And I think there's very few films out there that do not stop uh, mm. for a breath and work and this was one that i actually really uh, enjoyed uh, i don't know if it's for everybody but it definitely worked for me and uh similarly to that not really horror but in terms of movies that don't stop we did go out to see uh john wick chapter four and i enjoyed it like i've enjoyed all the other uh, yes john wick movies. <laughs> it is a john wick movie like yeah, all the other john wick movies it is almost three hours of a john wick movie <laughs> I also watched uh, Netflix. They did a, uh, I talked about in the last episode, they did a series about Waco, um, which I overall didn't really like that much. Um, I think the Waco incident is very interesting, but this very much covers the actual incident and not so much like, why did we get there? Hmm. Um, what happened afterwards? And is that the one with Michael Shannon? No, this is a documentary series. Oh, this is an actual documentary. And, uh, okay. you know, it mostly oh, is, God told from the perspective of law enforcement. So I think it's very skewed. They do get into some of the details as to like why things went south. Um, but I think they could have done a lot better with like the actual context of, and getting into uh, the head of David Koresh more and talking about that as opposed to just here's a bunch of cops like killing a bunch of innocent people, which is obviously bad. But I was like, were we supposed to think law enforcement did a good job here? Because I certainly didn't think so. I don't know. It, I mean, it was, it could as, have been better. As, as the Canadian who like, this is like, I, I'm observing from the outside. That's the only thing I've ever like Waco for me is just shorthand for government fuck up. Oh, it absolutely is that. But like Janet Reno is mentioned once in the entire documentary and that's it. Like, I feel like that they just completely skipped over a lot of the like political yeah. aspects and I'm, tending to notice that more on like these direct to streaming documentaries, they seem to just want to get to the good stuff and not really deal with the other stuff. And I don't know, I like to see a little bit more context there. Um, if I could do some music recs, uh, I, I have quite a number uh, this time because there's actually been quite a lot of uh, good stuff coming out. Uh, Spect Spectral Lore put out another uh, album. It's called 11 Days. It's an EP. Uh, this is very heavy, heavy black metal with a lot of sound and synthesize soundscape and synthesizer presence. The homies in Sunrot have a new album out, The Unfailing Rope, and uh, I will boost up my pals uh, whenever I can because they're fucking awesome and it's a really good album too. I found out about this band called Lucifer's Fall from Australia that uh, doesn't exist anymore. I guess they just recently called it quits, but they did put out an album after they called it quits. They're Australian doom with a good dash of Motorhead. The album's called Children of the Night. I dug that. There's a band out of Italy called Fecca Donchin that I found out about in 2020. They're a bass and drum only death metal band that writes songs about prehistoric earth. So they did a split with another bass only band called Serenaded, I think. And uh, hmm. it's pretty weird, but it's uh, awesome. And I really liked it. Uh, Dozer is back. Uh, it's been like 15 years since Dozer put out an album and their new one is called Drifting in the Endless Void. And this is, Stoner Rock is so played out, but it, they do it right. And yeah. the new Bellwitch album is fucking awesome. It's an hour and a half long and it rules because it's Bellwitch. <laughs> Then we don't need to dwell on how I listened to it for half an hour and was like, I, I have other things I need to do. <laughs> I, it took me about three hours to listen to all of it. <laughs> okay. I haven't given up on it, but I'm 
yeah <laughs> i gave a... up i i gave up on it but i will definitely second the dozer which i love i've had it for almost a month now it's part of uh blues funerals post wax series mm-hmm. uh doing these crazy special editions with extra tracks and stuff so i've been listening to it nonstop. i love stoner metal when it's done right and those guys definitely do it right i mean if we're talking music recs for like recent stuff after years so given my long-standing love of opeth i've I've, on several occasions tried to get into catatonia given their association with each other and it finally took until like a month or two ago where i finally like oh my god i finally get catatonia now so now do you uh, like do you like the old catatonia where it's just like one synthesizer note played over like really long uh (laughs) riffs or is it the new catatonia which is like weird like almost it's not genty, but it's very like electronic heavy. The latter. Yeah. I haven't I gotten to, to like the older, older stuff. I haven't gotten to the older stuff yet. So maybe I'll maybe I'll feel differently. But so like when I heard uh I think it was the song July. That was like when I heard that, I was like, oh I get it now. Which was which was a lot of fun. And so like I know that they put out an album fairly recently that I've been uh listening to a lot as well. the other stuff that that's more recent that I've really liked, uh the new liturgy album is is and i know chris uh would have words on that one too is is fantastic and the uh the the new album from the hers collective we're still here like my jaw was a gape listening to that album it was it absolutely floored me uh yeah both both pretty solid releases i thought that that's for for new stuff that's well <laughs> i'm spending most of my time listening to the boy genius album so it's not really <laughs> relevant to this top this podcast but that is how i spend most of my music these days is is boy genius <laughs> uh let's see as far as new and metal uh i my ears perked up when you went said that you went and saw satan at uh, vitus i really wanted to go and see that because uh, trad metal and stuff like that is my bread and butter so most recently uh in fact i think like literally a couple of days ago, we got uh, new albums from both Smolder and Tanith, which I have been listening to quite a bit. Uh, the um, Liturgy is a real solid one. Not that 20 Bucks Spin needs any more kind of indie shout outs. They're like the biggest tiny label out there. But the new Void Ceremony album is freaking amazing. And I've been playing that nonstop and forthcoming because I do still manage and uh, edit for uh, Nine Circles, a metal website. Uh, so I get the promos early, but oh man, when this new Cattle Decapitation album comes out, it's going to blow everybody away. It is freaking phenomenal. <laughs> I've been playing that almost every day. We will be, uh, when we go out to Portland, we will be catching them out uh, in Portland, Oregon on the, the Decibel Metal stop out there. Uh, it would be pretty cool. The new album is freaking phenomenal. <laughs> I'm looking forward to it. I mean, I've pretty much enjoyed everything Cattle Decap has done. Uh, I know that there's definitely some feelings about them, like, shifting their sound uh, between, like, Cloud At- Cloud Atlas, Death Atlas. D- yeah. Uh, Cattle Decapitation's Cloud Atlas. I would listen to that. <laughs> they do the soundtrack to that fucking movie. That would have been insane. They, they play the Cloud Atlas, what is it called, the Sextet? It was that, is that the piece of music from the from the movie it's been a while since i've seen it i don't know i have never seen it there's i think there's supposed to be a piece of music within the movie that is okay anyway anyway cattle decapitation um yeah i mean all these music recs they're all good like the the smolder album is really good the void ceremony album is really good uh i believe that guy one of the guys in void ceremony is also in worms so that like 
that very like shimmery uh, prog influenced uh, yeah. uh, guitar sound that's creeping up more in bands like you know Dream Unending as well and Tomb Mold like is de- I, I'm I'm very interested to see where this goes you know I because I think it's I think it's uh it definitely seems like a path for um, metal or like you know death metal specifically that could get really overdone really fast but so far everything I've heard coming out of it is really good so. You know, two mold again. Another another Canadian band. Uh, yeah. <laughs> those guys. Well, are just, my and my ears definitely perked up when you said "Dream on Ending." I was uh, like, "Oh, I fucking love that so much." Yeah, that band is so good. I hope they. I really hope that they do a show somewhere soon. Like they, I would really like to see how that stuff translates live. One hundred percent. The last thing I will talk about this will be my little shout out um, for this episode is that I've been uh, knee deep in playing through the Resident Evil 4 remake. Uh, Resident Evil 4, the original one, is one of my all time favorite video games. So when I heard they were doing a remake of the fourth one, I was a little skeptical just because I think the original one is fucking great. And overall, I do think it is a pretty great remake. Uh, Gameplay wise, it's fantastic. The new knife mechanics took a little getting used to, but overall, like the game itself is awesome. I, I really think they like mm. blew it out of the out of the park with this one. Story-wise, uh, I mean, the original one was kind of thin and corny to begin with. Uh, this one, I don't know. Like, unfortunately, the voice actress who did the voice acting for Ada Wong got like a lot of unjustified flack online because uh, the internet is a horrible place especially for women and uh, women who are not white. Spoiler alert, all the voice acting kind of sucks in the game. And like story-wise, it's not the best, um, but they did get rid of a lot of the like unfortunate sexist bullshit from the original game. (laughs) I just kind of wish they didn't make the characters and the plot so stiff and grim. It's a Resident Evil game. It's okay for it to be kind of silly. If we're talking about it just as a video game, I think it's a fucking triumph. I mean, I'm on my second playthrough it now, and uh, I'm really, I'm really, really digging it. Probably occupy my time until Breath, the Breath of the Wild sequel comes out, which is soon. Yeah, I literally just the started this playing Breath of the Wild. Out. Actually, wait, is Chris? Is this your first run through Breath of the Wild? <laughs> yes, uh, because as much as I love the game, I absolutely hate the control scheme for the Switch. It just drives me crazy. Uh, so it like I will play for a couple hours, get mad, throw the switch away. A couple days later, come and pick it up, keep trying again. <laughs> you got to get the controller and play it on a TV. Yeah, I I, I, I think that's what I have to do. This isn't a thing that you can replicate, but the fir- my first playthrough of Breath of the Wild was with my she would have been four years old kid at the time, and the rule was was that she would point we'd bo- we'd load up the map, she would point to a spot on the map. And then I would, with the controllers, go to where she pointed, and then we would just do whatever it was to do there. And that was how we played through the entire game. And it is singularly the best gaming experience of my life. Mm. Like it is, is just because the she like because she wasn't didn't have the the coordination to play, but she could tell me, "Daddy, I want to go here today," and it was spectacular. Because because like- with Breath of the Wild, anywhere you go, there's something to do. That's a good game to play with your with your kids probably because there's there's no blood that you know you fight things but it's all done in this like beautifully rendered graphics and that's something that i will say like you know resident evil 4 remake looks great but it's all like you know it's based on real life so everything is like hyper detailed and you know the guns look amazing and they sound amazing 
Whereas like, I love that Nintendo still cares about having great graphics, but done in a way that just still looks artistic. And, you know, they're like, it's a video game. It doesn't have to look real. Like you can make it look great without it looking real. And that, oh, that game is such a triumph. It's so good. <laughs> I especially love how the systems that the game, the, the systems built into the game fully allow you to break the game. Like they're not afraid yes. of, like I could never spend the time because I have, you know, responsibilities and stuff to like come up with all the crazy shit that gets posted to YouTube and TikTok and stuff. But I do love that people put that effort in. And whenever I see someone coming up with, here's the latest flying contraption that I that I rigged up uh, and that Nintendo didn't like QA that out of existence. Like <laughs> there's absolutely ways to cheese that game and no one is going to stop you if you can figure it out. That I love that. I think that that's where we'll put a pin in it for this. Uh, do you guys want to tell folks where they can find you uh, out on the interwebs? If you're interested in hearing more of us talk about movies, uh, you can find us on the Cinema Duel podcast. We also have a website, cinemaduel.com, where uh, Chris and myself and our friend Dan uh, will sometimes write about movies, sometimes being scare quotes because it's... <laughs> We're not particularly active at this point, uh, but that is where you can find most of us. Technically, we have social media accounts, but uh, we're not especially active on those either. So uh, cinemaduel.com is probably the best place to find us uh, if you want to follow uh, episodes or movie stuff related to us. Yeah, and if you're particularly into horror, there are, I think we're on like at least five episodes now where we've been doing specifically horror films plus... Uh, uh, with the Hootober Marathon, we do long-form reviews on every horror film that we watch for that. So that is generally 30 a month. So I think at this point now, we have like a good 120 to 200 long-death reviews of various horror films of varying quality there. So that is definitely when the... Bag, check that out. <laughs> that is definitely when the site is most active, is the month of October, when Chris drives himself insane uh, writing that many reviews. And now Dan. So uh, And yeah, now so Dan now as have, well. I'm the only one who just gets to sit back and like chill and I'll, and I'll read the reviews and be like, that one sounds good. Maybe I'll watch that. And I just get to pick and choose. I, I did the first like watch 31 movies for uh, the month of October last year. And uh, I had a really good time doing it. I'm looking forward to doing it again. I did it very loosely because I don't like to be locked down by rules, but uh, I tried to definitely do a good, uh, a good spectrum. And maybe I'll run through that list if I, when I do an October episode or a Halloween episode, uh, of this podcast but uh won't be going over that now is there anything else you guys want to shout out uh before we call today no i appreciate you reaching out um uh when you when you suggested the gate as a movie i didn't because i didn't know anything about it i wasn't sure under what context is this is this a movie we're going to watch to have fun and dunk on is this movie we liked um and some of my least favorite podcasting experiences has been when people have guessed it on other people's podcasts to be like this movie sucks and let's talk about reasons why it sucks when that's not really the vibe they're going for so when chris immediately responded with i love the gate uh <laughs> i was like oh thank god like this th that really helped to sell me like that really helped me be positioned like how I should sort of approach this viewing. So I really appreciated you reaching out and uh, giving me a chance to watch a, a real fun movie. I, I had to watch some good movies. There had to be at least one good heavy metal horror movie out there. Because uh, so far I've watched some uh, not great stuff. You know, obviously I don't, I wouldn't expect you guys to have comments on eight evil bong movies, but that's what we did. 
Uh, we didn't do eight. We did four. So uh, next month's movie, uh, I think, will also be generally considered a good movie. I really like it. I'm really looking forward to rewatching it. And uh, we will have another returning guest on uh, for that episode. Uh, if you want to follow along with the uh, movies from Green Hell podcast, you can follow. Uh, it's essentially an extension of Diary of Doom. Nothing about it really on the website, but if you want to visit the diaryofdoom.com website, uh, you can see all the pictures that I've posted from metal shows over the year. I'm very uh, slow at editing, but they'll get up there eventually. Uh, and mostly uh, you could find all the important stuff on uh, Instagram under Diary of Doom. That's, I think that's it. That's really all that's worth mentioning. Uh, like I said, next, next episode will be out in uh, June and we'll see you that. Uh, we'll, see, we'll see you that and uh, we will see you then for that episode but uh, until then I don't know be safe be smart and uh, enjoy a lot of good Canadian metal <laughs> here here thanks everyone Am I like at a decent like distance from the mic or you want me to go, go in closer? Or? No, you're good. I can always just edit it on the back end. I usually take my time with this shit since it only goes out once a month. I feel yeah, comfortable that... with you at chest level. So I don't know how the mic works, <laughs> but from a visual perspective, you are exactly where I like you to be. when we're talking. <laughs> Okay. You stay there, young man. <laughs> I may have some follow up, but okay. <laughs>